AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition with our old friend, our old pal, everyone's favorite uh, number one movie fan and poster collector and improv <laughs> comedian Cole Stratton is with us. I wish that claim was true, but thank you, Chuck. <laughs> Which part is untrue? Uh, I mean, everybody's favorite. I don't know about that. but uh, Oh, I think you're among the favorites. Uh, I love that. Thank you. It's fun <laughs> being on the show. I'll tell you that much. So uh, before we get going into the movie, Cole, uh, we want to talk a little bit about, you know, I talked when the first time you were on the show, for those of you who did not hear that episode, we met at San Francisco Sketchfest. Uh, to me, for my money, the greatest uh, and best, most robust comedy festival in the country, and I guess in the world, because America is the only country where anything funny happens. <laughs> and... Um, that's where we became pals and where we first met. And you, you're one of the co-founders and, and run Sketchfest is a big part of your job. But very sadly, uh, this year, uh, there were, yeah, I guess this year, in 2021, there is no Sketchfest going on. It should be going on right now in January. Obviously, uh, you guys aren't doing it because of uh, COVID, but you have something else going on. And I would love to turn people on to this. Yeah, so it's weird because we would be in the middle of the festival right now. Um, right in the this, In fact, this would probably be my weekend. I'm usually the second weekend. Yeah, this would be the second weekend. We always know it's the three day weekend because of Martin Luther King Day and stuff. So it's just yep. gonna be weird that this will be the. F I realize this will be the first January I've spent in Los Angeles in 20 years. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. It's well, I guess 18 years because it was year two that I moved down or whatever. But still, like I've never been here for January. I've always been up there. For the bulk of the month. So it's a little, I don't know what to do with myself. So uh, there's that. But yeah, we're doing this. We realized that we weren't going to be able to do an in-person festival pretty early on last year. We kept like delaying making the decision because every week it'd be different information about yeah. the virus and what was happening and stuff. So uh, finally, like late summer, we just decided to officially pull the plug because we figured there's just no way it was going to happen. Um, so we did. So we're hoping to do another live show 
like Knife Festival next year, which that's crazy to say next year and we just went into this one, but I know. <laughs> 2022. So we tried to figure out what we could do to kind of mark the festival occasion this year and also raise some money for us so we could operate going into next year and have some capital to, you know, put down venue deposits, et cetera, going sure. into the next one. I mean, it's a business, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, as everybody knows, there's a lot of money in festivals. So, uh, yeah, no, no, there's not, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, we, it would also be our 20th year. That's one of the biggest bummers too, is, yeah. it, you know, will be the big celebration of making it to 20. So, um, what we decided to do instead was do like one giant kind of, we are the world ish online benefit show uh-huh. with a ton of alumni from the festival. Um, so they ended up being over a hundred performers, which is crazy. Um, That's amazing. It's going to be a little over three hours. We're editing everything and it's going to be long, uh, but it'll be funny. Um, and that lineup is pretty insane. We, you know, yeah, got, who are we looking at? We got the kids in the hall. We have the state, uh, all 11 of them, which is a wow. rare thing. Yeah. So they're doing something. Um, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, Weird Al, John <laughs> Hamm, Aisha Tyler, Margaret Cho. Uh, Doug Benson, uh, Uptown Showdown Debates, Judge John Hodgman. Um, these are just off the top of my head, so I'm sure I'm missing tons of yeah. great people. But um, music from like Paul and Storm and Jonathan Colton and Rhett Miller. And of course. Um, it's going to be pretty amazing. So tickets are over at sfsketchedfest.com. I guess okay. F and then sketchfest.com. Uh, they start at 20 bucks uh, for a live stream on January 30th, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern, and whatever p.m. wherever you live uh, or a.m. I don't know where you're going to be doing this from. <laughs> um, but it's going to be pretty fantastic, and everything goes to helping the festival move forward and be a festival um, next year. So that's uh, great. Come check it out if you can. Well, I'm going to buy my ticket. Uh, $20 is not a lot of money to spend on some great comedy. I would pay, don't tell anyone this, but I would have paid $20 just to see the state reunion uh, getting, I mean, that's, it's, they're uh, some of the most legendary um, sketch performers. And I don't know, man, they just hold a very special place in my heart. I was a big fan uh, in real time from the MTV days. And, you know, they're one of the ones who like, Every single one of them went on to do something great and continue to do great things. It's pretty crazy. Like we did a reunion with them in like 20, 2011, I want to say, mm-hmm. where we got them all in person to San Francisco, all of them. And they did a new sketch show in the very intimate um, then Eureka Theater, which is 200 seats. They just did two shows Wow. Of that sketch show. And that was it. So they sold out in a minute. Um, of course. And then we also did like a big tribute conversation thing with them the next day. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really cool just to get, you know, I have a picture Amazing. of us with all 11 of them, which is like, that doesn't really happen that often that they're in the same room together. So uh, we're honored that they're taking part again. Yeah, that's so cool. I would pay 20 bucks just for that. I do like knowing that I'm not among the top 100 alumni. Uh, that's fine. My <laughs> you know, feelings aren't hurt. <laughs> I did. I, you were on the table for that. And, oh, uh, dude, it's honest, fine. I'm no, not, ser- yeah. for reals. Like, I was like, we got to figure out something for Chuck to do. And then we no, also looked okay. at our lineup and we're like, oh, boy, a lot of white men are saying yes. We got to <laughs> make sure that we keep this diverse. No, it's fine. I love the diversity. And, uh, you know, Josh and I kind of, as far as, I mean, stuff you should know would be the biggest draw. Um, and I don't know, man, we're not into, I don't think we would translate well to a virtual thing like that. So I'm, I genuinely did not have my feelings hurt. I was just giving you a hard time. Okay, cool. Cause I love you. And <laughs> seriously, you were, you were discussed. So hey, there, there's also, like the the room. <laughs> <laughs> there's also a, like a ticket that gets you to this virtual after party thing, which is like, oh, wow. like through gather town, which is pretty interesting software stuff where you kind of build an eight bit version of piano fight which is a theater in san francisco and then everybody gets a little avatar when you move in and when you move when you move close to somebody your video and audio move on so you can have a conversation sort of like on zoom and then when you walk away you fade away and there's stuff happening within the theater and stuff like that too and stuff so uh we should get you uh into that involved in that because uh some of the performers will be hanging out and stuff and um it's gonna be pretty man that is amazing Uh, you should have hosted it at virtually at adam savage's warehouse i know god that would be amazing if they could build that out (laughs) the old man cave yeah, for those of you listening, uh, Adam Savage of the Mythbusters has Mythbusters has a uh, sort of this legendary warehouse man cave in San Francisco that is. I mean, he has parties there and stuff uh, around the time of Sketchfest, and it's just sort of like a nerd paradise. Uh, 
you know, whether or not you want to see like a life-size Boba Fett or a re- perfect recreation of the Blade Runner gun or like a little R2-D2 whirling around the party. It's pretty insane. It's like the good kind of hoarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wall-to-wall props from things that either he traded for or he built himself. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, we have photos of like, I'm sitting in Captain Kirk's chair. I'm holding right. Hellboy's gun. Like, it's unbelievable. pretty phenomenal. Very cool. So one more time, uh, when is it and what time and uh, where can you get tickets? So it's Saturday, January 30th, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern and whatever time, wherever you are. Um, and you can get tickets at sfsketchfest.com. It's going to be really All fun. Right. That's great. And is it one of those things where if you pay for a ticket, you can watch it a couple of days later or is it only live? Yeah. So it'll be live stream, but you have access if you buy a ticket to um, watch a replay of it for like 24 hours or 48 hours afterwards, I believe. So you have a little bit of that's time. Great. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way to do it, because in I've done a couple of little concerts like that where I could not necessarily be there right at the time. But then I watched it the next day. Right. Also, you know, three hours cool. of in one sitting of anything is can be a little hard. So, you know, I'm sure some people will break it up. But uh, well, yeah. I can't wait, man. I'll be there. Thanks. And uh, as an audience member. Uh, all right. So we're going to move along to your latest movie crush, which uh, is the Albert Brooks written, directed and starring film from 1991. Defending your life. Great movie. Classic movie. And until I watched it uh, today, I didn't realize that I had never seen this movie. You'd never seen it? No, man, I caught, wow. I thought I had, I caught bits of it on HBO here and there. And I, yeah. it's one of those movies like that I thought I had seen, but as I was watching it, cause I knew all about it. I was like, wait a minute. I don't think I've actually ever sat down and watched this. It's uh probably my, it's my favorite Brooks movie and I love them all pretty much. Oh yeah. So, favorite uh, one. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about it that like his neuroses are still on display, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the driving force of the entire picture. Like it is in his other things. Yeah. which uh, I sort of liked that it was, it was definitely there. And it, you know, obviously deals a lot with fear and, and things like that. But, and like how you're still judged even after you die. But, right. uh, but it's, you know, I don't know it, it, for me, it just like, it's his only real like romantic comedy, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yeah. So. I mean, it is a love story at heart. I mean, we're going to get into the sort of allegory of the whole thing with being judged and uh, your acts on life and, and fear. And uh, one thing I thought was really interesting was the notion that uh, that the goal in the afterlife is to to keep gaining knowledge uh, and to get smarter and smarter and to use more of your brain. And that's sort of uh, kind of the only like they mentioned two things really is your goal is to keep gaining knowledge. And then the the one great thing is you can eat however much you want right. without gaining weight. <laughs> Which is just funny. I think that's sort of everyone's idea of like a perfect afterlife. Right. It'd be sort of like what well, we're all doing in the pandemic now, but we don't have our pandemic 20 pounds after the right. fact. <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, you know, it's considered a cult classic, like so many of his films. And he's only made, uh, she's what, like five or six? Yeah, something like that. Let's see. There's real life. There's yeah. lost in America. Lost there's in America. modern romance. Defending modern romance. your life. Looking for comedy in the Muslim world. The mother. Muse. Mother. Um, that's I think seven. that's it, right? That seven. It? I think it's seven. Yeah. So I mean, he's a filmmaker, and this is over the course of. Uh, I mean, since the I think his first movie was like the early eighties. Yeah, I so think, he's. I think real life was like seventy nine or something. Yeah. So he's judicious with his time and he's not a filmmaker who wants to make movies every two or three years yeah he takes long gaps in between and like most of his movies they don't this one uh included they don't perform terribly well at the box office uh they're always reviewed kindly and they usually are cable tv and sort of dvd cult classics all yeah, of them. This one only made, because like, I looked up the box office on it because I'm always curious. Like, it, in its entire theatrical run, it made $16 million, which in 1991 was still not that much money. Um, yeah. And when it opened, um, it was kind of unlimited release at first. So the weekend it opened, it was against, okay, this is just to give you an idea of what was happening in the world of cinema. The week it was released, here's your top 10 movies. All right. Uh, the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, didn't see it. Um, I kind of love it. But uh, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, boy. Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Number four was New Jack City. 
Okay. Five, Class Action, which is that Gene Hackman, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio yeah, Carter thing. Yeah, sure. Six, Sleeping with the Enemy. Seven, in its 19th week of release, Home Alone. <laughs> oh, yeah. That right. thing was nuts. Uh, yeah. Number eight, The Doors. Number nine, oh, okay. The Perfect Weapon, that Jeff Speakman action movie. I had no idea what that is. It was like he was a guy that put out like one or two action movies. Like they're trying to bring him as the next big thing. And 10 was Guilty by Suspicion, which I think was a De Niro thing, if I'm not wrong. Maybe uh, not. Yeah, I think that was about the um, McCarthy era. I think he was a Hollywood screenwriter in the Blacklist era, if I'm That's not mistaken. A, that sounds right. Yeah. So the most it ever did was in its like third weekend. It was when it kind of went wider and it was like the number six and it made like four million that weekend or something so yeah. i'm looking up the perfect weapon now and i definitely do not know this movie but <laughs> i sort of recognize that guy was he trying to be um obviously trying to be like a steven seagal type yeah it's a, kevin pollack does a whole bit about it on his um one of his old comedy specials where he's like oh really you know you got steven seagal <laughs> and, blah, 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 and jeff speakman <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty uh, great I got two quick little asides to tell you. Um, one is when I lived in L.A., my friend uh, John was a uh, dated the personal assistant to Meatloaf's wife. Okay, like we all do. So, Typical Hollywood story. Yeah, she. You know how that stuff happens in L.A. <laughs> it's like these weird things. So I ended up hanging out at Meat's house, which is what you call them, by the way. Okay. Um, two or three times, uh, he was never there, uh, but. Um, Steven Seagal lived in the house behind him and there were, you know, these big fences and stuff. But if you kind of walk up the stairs to Meat's house, you could see over the fence and he had all these little, um, Asian gazebos. They all look like sort of Indian miniature Indian temples sort of all over his, uh, backyard of his property, which I thought was very interesting. It's so weird for somebody that's like his whole persona is just like, he's peaceful, he's serene, he's spiritual, but he's a total mm. prick from what I yeah. understand. So like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's a nice guy. Right. So where did, where does all that, how does that fit in there? I don't know. Like, What's I remember he doing in those temples? on SNL, like he was really upset about the Hans and Franz sketch about him. He's just like, I would kick these guys' ass. Like he was mad that they're dunking on him when that's the whole idea. It's, oh, wow. It's, it's, it's just like, he's humorless and not a nice guy from what I understand. Yeah. Humorless is one of my least favorite character qualities in a celebrity. And he's here today. Let's bring him out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You're great. I love you. Uh, and the other quick story, and I think I've told this before uh, on the, um, when the, my favorite murder ladies joined me for silence of the lambs. But uh, I saw that movie as a, double bill at my student center how they would in college they would show a movie and then say hey if you want to stick around and watch this other new movie you can so i went to see dances with wolves and they said if you want to stick around and watch this new movie with anthony hopkins and jodie foster called silence of the lambs then you can do so and i was like all right and i thought it was like a because i heard jodie foster and anthony hopkins and silence of the lambs i thought it was going to fully be like a merchant ivory thing right Oh, no. Knew nothing about it. <laughs> and like cut to 15 minutes later when I'm just like, you know, terrified sitting in my seat. Uh, and it definitely overperformed Dances with Wolves that night. I left and I was like, oh, man, I have like a new favorite sort of thriller movie. That is kind of magical those days in college when they like host screenings on campus because they have to because uh-huh. they have that budget and stuff. And like I remember seeing like Strange Days that way. And that oh, cool. Trapped in Paradise, that Nicolas Cage, Dana Carvey, Lovitz movie, where they're yeah. like bank robbers sure. trying to get out of small town. And uh, Shawshank Redemption and Frank oh, Darabont wow. was there. This was like three months before it actually opened because his niece went to SF State, San Francisco State, where I was. So uh-huh. uh, I have like a signed promotional Shawshank 8 by 10 that he signed for me backstage at that thing. But uh, yeah, that's like I got to see that for free before it opened. And of course, that movie's magical. So. You strike me as the kind of person who might have worked at the student theater. No? <laughs> I did. I worked at video stores, indie video stores okay. for like a decade, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, cult classic, Defending Your Life. Um, if you don't know about the movie, A, go and watch it. It's streaming on HBO Max if you have that. Uh, but it is a movie about Albert Brooks. Uh, he plays an um, ad executive who five minutes into the film dies. Uh, he gets hit by a bus in his brand new BMW. And um, and goes to his uh, immediate afterlife, which is uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, the name of the city, Judgment City. I believe. Yeah, Judgment City, yeah. where the idea is that you have to defend your life in a sort of um, 
court uh, where they pick out days of your life, examine those, and then decide whether or not you should be allowed to go on uh, and gain more and more knowledge or uh, the hell, which is to be sent back to Earth, <laughs> which I thought was pretty interesting. I do love that line when he's talking to his lawyer, Rip Torm, where he's like, is this heaven? No, this isn't heaven. Is this hell? No, there is no hell. Though I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the great Rip Torn. Uh, I think it's interesting, aside from a cameo by Shirley MacLaine and uh, kind of a cameo by Buck Henry, the really only few recognizable characters are Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep, and Rip Torn. Uh, I guess if you sort of know your movies, you would recognize Lee Grant right, as the prosecutor. But otherwise, it's just sort of peppered with these sort of no-names. And great little supporting roles, too. Like yeah. he's, Albert does a good job of, like, writing bits for people to do. I mean, it has comes back from like his days of, you know, work stand up in the clubs and his dad and all that stuff like that too. So I feel like they're, mm-hmm. they're bitty things in these movies, but they are great. You know, he gives everybody a little something to do. That's really fun and aren't necessarily yeah. plot devices, but more so just something kind of interesting to move the plot along, but be fun. Yeah. I mean, Albert Brooks always struck me as a sort of a Woody Allen adjacent filmmaker in that, his, like I said, his movies don't make a ton of money, kind of like Woody Allen's movies. But I think Albert Brooks could always get a movie made. Um, I'm sure he would laugh if I said, you know, with little trouble, right. um, you know, behind the scenes, there's probably a lot of uh, trouble trying to get films financed. But it seems like he's just one of those filmmakers with the credibility and the cachet where when he's ready to jump back in. Someone will say, sure, we'll make the next. Oh, Albert totally. Brooks movie. He has his fan base that love him and his movies are so funny and they, he does such a good job in this and every movie does kind of poking fun at the industry in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and stuff too. So anybody that has any experience in the industry or like interest in it um, will love it. Little side jokes and things here and there. Like I remember, in, I think it was the muse where um, he's ha- taking a meeting with Steven Spielberg's cousin or whatever, <laughs> but he's uh, on the lot or whatever. And he's talking to this kind of power agent guy and, um, and he's got like a office just kind of full of, like little props and things like that. And he's like, Oh, you love saving private Ryan. And he's like, yeah, I do. Uh, that's the couch from the movie, which just <laughs> kills me. It's like so funny that what couch in saving private yeah, Ryan? <laughs> like, is there a couch in that movie? Right. He's just bragging about the fact that he's sitting on the couch from saving private Ryan. Like it's, Thing of pride yeah, that's him, pretty but. funny. Like in the background of the scene with the mom where they tell her that her sons have died or something. Right. <laughs> it's like the only couch in that movie. <laughs> uh, and, you know, even before he dies in that first five minutes, there's so many funny little lines when he's uh, going to buy the BMW. And uh, he's just so great at that sort of skewering satire, uh, whether it's a, a car salesman or someone in the industry. And the car salesman in this case keeps telling him. <laughs> how much weight he's lost. And he goes, I saw you three days ago. Right. He's like, what, what is this weight loss? And he went, Oh, I wrote you a check for $39,000. Right. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that first five minutes is great too. At the whole, like, what is with these Jeeps? What's the fascination with these things? Are floods yeah. coming? <laughs> yeah. What do you know that I don't, I don't know? know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and even the, the, the car wreck is pretty funny. Like he gets this, a compact disc player in his car that he didn't ask for. He's got those long boxes. It's really dates it to 1991. Amazing. And he's listening to Barbara Streisand. Uh, Is that Yentl? What is that? Well, the song Something's Coming, but I'm not sure exactly what it's from. It might be. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the irony of that whole thing, too. Something's coming. I don't know what it is. And that's a bus because you're swerving into the other lane. Yeah. For like a really kind of hysterically long period of time, he he's goes down into the uh, floorboard of the passenger seat trying to pick up these CDs that have slid off for like seven, eight seconds. Right. <laughs> that great shot of the car fully going on into the other lane. Right. And then, you know, it's a bus. It's all over. You're six minutes into the movie. And uh, just launching into the premise that quickly, I loved it. It didn't need to be one of those things where the whole first act, you kind of get to know this person. And I think that's kind of the point is you shouldn't know that much about what kind of person he was going into this judgment city. Right. Yeah. I mean, it gets right to it, which I definitely appreciate. Um, Cause a lot of movies, like you said, like take, so like take the first act or take the first 30 minutes or whatever to get into the meat of it. And it's sort of like, okay, but like the meat is what we're here for. So there's gotta be ways to <laughs> get right into the action as they say, um, which this movie does yeah. a good job with. 
Yeah, and you know, the, this it's a familiar concept. People have made movie like Heaven Can Wait and uh or uh you know, the Christmas uh the Christmas one where you see your life flash before your eyes. I'm blanking on everything today. It's a wonderful life or uh, uh sure. The family and, man. Um, and uh it, well sure. I mean all these movies. It's a familiar conceit, but he he does something a little different with it and it's kind of proof that you can use a familiar concept and still make a great movie if you have a little bit of a spin and there's just good writing and good performances. Totally. Which this definitely does amazing on all fronts. I want him to make another movie. I know. Me too. He's, I think he's like 73 years old. Uh, and I think in like good health. So he, he's good, but his last movie, I mean, I didn't see it. The, the Muslim world. It's, it's okay. It's not bad. It's, it's uh-huh. not, it doesn't, deserve the skewering it gets but it's not good like it's you know it's definitely one of those like two and a half star movies like it's is that his least good movie probably it's definitely watchable and there's some really funny things in it it just doesn't quite work as a whole gotcha but that was like 15 years ago wasn't it something like that yeah yeah he needs to get going um i love the part and you know of course some of this because it's such a funny movie it's just going to be like funniest lines and funniest scenes but uh right when they're on the tram you know, one of the gags is he's he's the only person under the age of like seventy five, like yeah. everywhere he goes, almost. And uh, the lady on the tram says, <laughs> so good. "How many of you like to play golf?" And everyone just sort of sits there, and you don't know at the time that they're still adjusting to their afterlife body, I guess, because no one raises their hand. She says, "You won't be able to get your hands up just yet, but good." Right. <laughs> and just that whole conversation he has with the old lady on the tram a little bit later just kills me too. Like, you remind me yeah. of my little poodle. <laughs> so young aids no no i was at a car wreck oh okay i gotta tell you about my dog you have a while yeah yeah <laughs> so and she feels his hair right <laughs> so his little curly afro uh that is a funny bit though that he's always surrounded by old people and that's why he and meryl streep you know get uh they sort of lock eyes at that that comedy club right <laughs> comedy the- clubs that comedy club sequence too is like such a uh, homage to his dad and like a lot of oh, people really? realize that is his dad died on stage. Like that's, uh, you know, Harry, literally, literally, um, oh my gosh. Harry Park or Parky Arcus is, I think is what he's called. He was at a Friars club roast for Lucille ball. And, uh-huh. um, he did his act. And right when he was done with his act, like somebody said like, Oh, he should be on primetime. Why isn't he? And he turned to Milton Berle and he went, yeah, why is that? And then he just collapsed in Milton Berle's lap. And they oh my God. took his heart failure and they took him backstage and tried to revive him and all this stuff. But, um, and they weren't sure what to do because it's the Friars roast. And so they're backstage. I think Milton Burrell said, is there a doctor in the house? And people thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. Sure. And then they tried to revive him backstage and they, you know, couldn't do it. And meanwhile, they're like, what should we do? And they asked Tony Martin to sing a song, but he, he chose, unfortunately, there's no tomorrow. Um, oh my God. <laughs> that's happening. And yeah, so like he really did die on stage. So like that whole sequence is like, it's really funny where this comic is just kind of hacky on stage doing his bit. And he's like, yeah, trying to do his crowd work. And he's like, you, uh, how'd you die? And Albert says on stage like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. That was a sly nod then. And then when they go into the alley, him and Meryl Streep and they're walking together and he's like, I have to go back in. That's my father. She's like, oh my God, really? And he's like, no, how sad that would be for me. But oh my God. really, like, that's what happened to his dad. And so it's, like, very much, you wouldn't know it, but I think he's worked little references into his movies about his father in the past and stuff like that, too, just kind of deal with how that went down. Because you think he was 11 when his dad died. Oh, geez, that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, he came from a, a showbiz family and grew up in Beverly Hills. And uh, his dad, I mean, he wasn't, like, the biggest star in the world, but uh, very much a working comedian and well-respected comedian i think his mom was in the business too right that, you know that i'm not sure of i, have to, I just know I'm pretty sure. Park, right? it's very possible it feels like they're very hollywood from the beginning yeah i think he grew up with rob reiner and there was one other um god who was it kind of famous comedian you know these beverly hills kids sons of legends right <laughs> it's a very interesting way to grow up i guess this is holly fry from stuff you missed in history class 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What do you think the statement of this movie is? I mean, there's a lot going on here, sort of metaphysically speaking. Yeah, I mean, I there's a lot of things. I think one, it has, it sort of the message is that like, you only live once and face your fears, like do things mm-hmm. that take you out of your comfort zone, do things because only extraordinary things will happen if you do that. Um, I think that's kind of one of the underlying things and the kind of whole reason that everybody's having their lives looked at is if they haven't overcome those things, they send them back until they do. Um, and that's actually like a big kind of running joke between him and Meryl Streep is that like, she lived this like perfect life and, uh, everything she's staying, he's basically staying at a a kind of okay motel six kind of looking hotel. And she's basically (laughs) at the four seasons and she's like, where are you staying? He's like the continental come over. We'll paint it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) He's so good with just those. I mean, they're very quick jokes, you know, like sometimes just a couple of words that he just nails. It's, it's a real talent to be able to write a funny joke like that. Totally. I mean, he's so good at little asides. It's a very quotable movie. I mean, most of his movies are quotable to me, but this one, especially, I think it's just so many good little asides and quips and stuff. So. Yeah. Mother was always uh, one of my favorites of his. Uh, it was, I mean, it's just one of those movies where there are certain moms and, and if you have one of them and you see that movie, it's just like, there was a lot of my mom in, uh, in Debbie Reynolds in that movie. It was pretty funny. Uh, I love it. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, which is like Debbie Reynolds and that whole thing. Like, it's just kind of funny that, I mean, that's how Meryl Streep got on this movie was that they were doing postcards on the yet from the edge around the same time, right? which, you know, is Carrie Fisher and Debbie uh-huh. Reynolds daughter and stuff like that. And Carrie, they were all friends. So Albert went to dinner with Carrie Fisher and Meryl Streep and talked about he was about to do a new movie. And Meryl Streep was like, well, is there a role for me in that? And he's kind of laughed. And then he's like, well, do you want to be in it? And she's like, yeah. So like, that's kind of how like it wasn't ever, she was never targeted for that role. It was just one of those things where like, she said she wanted to do it. So he just kind of rewrote it a little bit and tailed it to tailored her, tailored it to her, which is pretty yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, I saw that, that he was very, um, obviously, even, you know, in 1991, her reputation was just so cemented as like one of the great leading actors of all time. And uh, he was, 
he would he said he never would have thought like to even try and get somebody like Meryl Streep. But he said once he met her, he said she was just so funny and cool and like so not what he thought she would be. And he said that he had never really seen her in a movie where she could just kind of be herself and fun and uh, and smiling and, you know. Uh, and just sort of laid back. And so he wanted to give her a part like that. And it's my favorite Meryl Streep performance, to be honest. I mean, she's great in everything. Like she's yeah. <laughs> arguably the greatest living actor right now. Like she's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but it's just something about like the charm and the easygoing, but she's totally in control of the performance and mm-hmm. has great chemistry with Albert, which, you know, I don't know on paper, I'd be like, Oh, those two definitely a couple, but Um, (laughs) In my mind, I thought about like, it actually would have been kind of cool if her part was Holly Hunter to kind of sort of rekindle the broadcast news angle of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah, but definitely I I think Meryl's so good in this. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, just physically, the way she carries herself in this movie, I mean, it's not a flashy performance at all. But, um, you know, Albert Brooks does one face kind of uh, in, in the best way possible, which is just uneasiness basically he just has a face that always reads like he's a little worried about something and he's he plays a sort of a stiffness and anxiety in this movie but it's not overdone at all he's not like you were saying earlier not super manic about you know everything that's going on it's not like to the woody allen levels but it's just enough to play against her complete comfort in her body and in her life. And even the way she pulls her feet up on the couch when she sits or in the scene, uh, in the scene where she is, he pops in on her trial where she's defending her life and she's sitting in that chair with her kind of legs pulled up and just smiling. And uh, it really is sort of a stark difference, very subtle, but very stark. Especially when like, you know, his trial is very contentious with like, you know, <laughs> Bob Diamond and uh, well, that's the lawyer played by Rip Torn and Lee Grant are just really going head to head. And there's a lot uh-huh. of like, he just feels he has a hard time defending everything that they show and the footage uh-huh. is very damning. And then, you know, the moment that he's in uh, Meryl Streep's thing, if they show her like rescuing people from a fire or whatever. <laughs> so funny. And then the she judge cat out of a fire. Right. And then the judge is like, I just wanted to watch that again. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> It's already a preconceived notion that she's moving on. Everybody loves her. She calls her lawyer Sam. Like it's it's yeah, yeah. And at the end of that scene, it's great too because the two judges, um, one of them says like, "Well, let's meet back tomorrow." Mainly just to uh, mainly just to enjoy it again. Like like they know she's going on. There's really no need for any more days, but they really just like being around her. Totally, it's really great. Uh, I love the fact that kids don't have to defend themselves. It's sort of a small touch, uh, but a very sweet one. And then, yeah. he's, you know, Rip Torn says kids don't have to defend themselves. And then Albert Brooks immediately goes, what about teenagers? Right. <laughs> too rambunctious. Yeah, too rambunctious. We, we tried it. Um, and um, he's so good in this movie. Like, this is my favorite Rip Torn thing, too. Um, oh, man, he's, he's so good. So good. And it's actually kind of funny, too. I read that, like... So, you know, as you know, Albert's a little obsessed with Easy Rider, which is like kind of the whole thing with in um, uh, Lost, oh, really? in Amer- Lost in America, which is the whole thing uh-huh. of like, let's just pick up and live on, you know, live free. So for the role of Bob Diamond, he wanted um, Dennis Hopper at first, uh, uh-huh. who turned it down due to scheduling. And then it was offered to Jack Nicholson and Nicholson passed on it. And then he thought about Easy Rider, which originally uh, Rip Torn was on in the Nicholson role, but he got fired from it because he pulled a knife on Dennis Hopper. So so that he just thought about that, like, oh, there's there's my next Easy Rider connection. And then then he hired Rip Torn from this, you know, who's. Yeah, I did see that Rip Torn was uh, he said something about him not working a lot uh, that much preceding this movie, Uh, I think. And I really didn't get it. And the knife kind of explains that he was sort of problematic in some ways. Yeah. But was that this deal? Was he just kind of hard to work with? I think he was kind of hard to work with and just really, I think he was kind of paranoid and a bit of a drunk from what I understand. So he had definitely had substance abuse problems and things. Um, But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't know it from this thing. Like he's, he's playing such a charming blowhard. That. Yeah, kind of against type if you're, you know, if you know Rip Torn from Larry Sanders uh, and just that face of his, like 
he, he's got one of the great scowls in movie history. Oh, totally. And I think we're used to him playing the heavy and kind of the asshole. So it was nice to see that flipped here. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's yeah, he's so good. Uh, and Lee Grant, who played the prosecutor, uh, she had been in a lot of stuff, but uh, I didn't know that she was a filmmaker too. She she was blacklisted for twelve years. I knew that, and then yeah. uh, came back, and she uh, directed a lot of TV, a lot of TV movies, but also a lot of documentaries um, that were about causes very important to her, which is really cool. Yeah, and she's really good in this too. Like, <laughs> if you knew she's how great. tough she was, you wouldn't sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, so good. That's right. Uh, also, like the, sort of the non-religious aspect, and I, I imagine. That was something, you know, if you go to make a movie about the afterlife, you got to decide. That's one of the first things you have to decide is how how religious is this going to be? And this wasn't at all. Right. I mean, the whole the whole basic concept of how they did it is it just kind of looks like kind of a sub- suburb, like, you know, holiday ends kind of place that kind of drab um, and made to be that way. So it would be something that people would feel comfortable in because it's your yeah. basic plain earth stuff, um, which is, you know, it goes to the whole idea of like, you know, if, if you got, you know, kidnapped by aliens, they would probably put you in something like that because they, you wouldn't be as alarmed as then if you got different like places to look, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's made that way to keep them comfortable and it's just so drab and boring everywhere they go. Yeah, and he has. I mean, he he always gets in a couple of little um, shots here and there, commentary about just the world, and, and in this case, about Earth and the United States. When he says, uh, kind of early in the movie, they take suggestions in the suggestion box about how it could be more comfortable and more Earth-like. And he said, "You should put in some of those mini malls." And the lady's response was something about uh, she likes to do her own nails and and doesn't need a, a tax accountant or something like right. that. She doesn't like frozen yogurt or whatever. Oh, frozen yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Likes to do her own nails. Um, I guess let's talk about the, you know, everyone is, has a certain amount of days that are plucked from their life that they have to be judged against. Uh, one of the running jokes is he has nine days and nine he's constantly, he, he's constantly trying to figure out if that's a lot of days or not. Uh, because Rip, you know, Rip Torn is always very stingy with the information. And he's like, some people have more, some people have less, you have nine. But most people's reaction is like, whoa, nine days seems right. like a lot. Everybody who like lives or works there, so to speak, in the area. And it's really funny, too, because it just always gets like a little reaction. Like there's a whole scene in the sushi restaurant where, yeah. um, you know, they do the sushi thing where they call the orders out and everybody repeats it and says it and stuff yeah. like that, too. But he, the sushi chef asks, you know, how many days are you looking at? And he says, nine days. And he goes, oh, my God, nine days. And <laughs> yeah, then go, everyone starts repeating nine days. <laughs> and especially, like, with probably my favorite side character in this movie is Eduardo, the the Italian waiter. <laughs> he's great. He's so funny. And when they ask him, you know, how many days are you looking at? Nine. Ooh. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reaction he makes is so good. Yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, the, these are all very much ethnic stereotypes, but they are pretty funny. Um, and the Italian restaurant scene is great because, again, like, <laughs> what could be the best thing in the world is to eat everything in the world, to have three pounds of pasta or 30 shrimp. And uh, I'm going to bring you nine pies, nine one for pies. each day. No, sir, He's I like, I don't not. want nine pies. <laughs> and just the whole idea, too, that in that scene, like, he's embarrassed in front of Julia of, like, yeah. having all this food come to him when, like, you don't need to be. She's loving this. Like, it's the whole thing. But he's still paranoid yeah. and he still, like, is afraid of what she'll think of him, which is kind uh-huh. of the whole thing in the movie is like, he's very concerned with what people will think of him. Like, yeah. The fear. Yeah. How does he live up to this thing? Or what are other people doing? How can I live up to that? Which is shown a lot in the stuff he does in the past too. And like, that's one of the moments where it's really on display is like, you know, she's slurping noodles out of her mouth and he's just kind of like, Hey, ever, <laughs> the noodle ever going to end? Bite it off. Bite it off. Bite it off. <laughs> bite down, bite down. <laughs> And I love Eduardo's line too, or he's like, uh, I'm going to bring you 30 shrimp. And he's like, they're so fresh. Uh, they crawl right up onto your plate. Aren't shrimp, yeah. high in, aren't they high in cholesterol? I don't know what you're talking about, but they high in everything. You believe me. Don't worry about it. So good. Yeah. And you know, they use that against him. Uh, the fact that he's still carrying around that fear of what people think, um, or just fear of, of taking that leap. Uh, and they use it against him on that final day when he, 
when he doesn't, he chooses not to sleep with Meryl Streep kind of for all the, the good reasons. Right. Uh, it seems like, and they use that against him saying like, he's still afraid to take that leap. Right. Which is like totally, it's, that's a tough moment because like really he is trying to be like gentlemanly and not rush it and try to, you know, or ruin it, all those things. But yeah, I mean, it's, and then it has a nice little, you know, ending too. like the way they do finally resolve all that stuff is pretty, pretty nice. Pretty good for a Brooks movie because they often just kind of, I don't want to say peter out, but they just kind of end a lot of the times that they feel this one's wrapped up in a little bow pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, it's a very satisfying ending. Uh, And you're right, he doesn't, because that's sort of a, I think he never wants to do sort of the cheap sort of feel good movie ending. Yeah. But he allowed it in this case because they had such good chemistry. You really do want them to be together. And to, for him not to get sent back to Earth. Right. Uh, but, you know, as far as uh, let's get back to those nine days. He they're pulling up these scenes from his childhood. And I love that they're not too overdone. Like he could have made them really uh, super, super awful or indefensible. But they're all sort of normal things that kids go through. Uh, and that, that one brutal scene where that uh, he's a baby in the, or like a toddler in the crib and his parents are fighting. He's just bawling yeah. like that, especially now as an adult and a parent really kind of hard to see. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, it, it borders on melodrama, but it also hits all the right notes at the same time too, of like them in this totally heated argument and them just, he's about to strike his wife or so it seems like as dad. And then they see the kid out of the corner of their eye, who's just kind of, crying in the pen looking at them and they just mm. kind of realize in that moment like what the hell are we doing and yeah. embrace like it's yeah it's tough and rip torn always has his back which is great yeah he's always like listen this guy is is trying to do the right thing and then lee grant as a prosecutor will come in right behind him and say well yeah but then let's fast forward to later that day when he doesn't do the right thing and it's just it's so unfair you know oh it really is i mean there's the whole thing where like his classmate forgot his paints and is um you know one of those kids that's like they're gonna suspend me they're gonna kick me out i can't oh my gosh i don't have my paints and so daniel decides in that moment to be like you know i'll use mine and then tells his teacher like i lost them i forgot them or whatever and so it's like like a wonderful little act and then of course lee grant throws it in his face later on when he's talking to his dad and his dad's like i can't believe it no tv and then he <laughs> He's like, I didn't do it. Steve lost it. Yeah, you want to punish yeah. him? Punish, punish anybody? Punish him. So it's the whole like he made the nice act to try to help his friend, but then he's a kid. So obviously, when he's threatened with you know things from his father, backpedals yeah. and throws his friend under the bus. So it's yeah, you know, double sided. Yeah, great casting there too, as for the kid and his dad. Totally. You know, they just basically said, "Give, give me someone with a brown afro." <laughs> <laughs> This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. 
Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Um, there's so much comedy. One of my favorite things in funny movies is when you can get multiple laughs out of the same um, like sound effect or something um, that's not like a line. And in his uh, in his trial scenes, I laughed every single time that chair turned around <laughs> and, and it's on, you know, he's sitting in this chair and it's on a on a, uh, a, a an electric spindle that will turn him around and then watch the screen. And then after it's over, it turns him back around to face the judges and just the sound effect they use every single time. And you're waiting for the reveal of his face, even though you know exactly what his face is going to be, which is that Albert Brooks face of unease. Right. But somehow it was just, it was funny every single time. Yeah. So good. So, and then you got to wait for it. Like it's not a fast swivel. It's just kind <laughs> yeah. of, it's kind of, it takes his time. And he's slumped down in his chair and he's just so like uh, uncomfortable with having to look back at his life at all, much less defend it. Totally. Uh, there's that funny and you know, it's a movie with allegory and some sort of heavier themes, but it is Albert Brooks. So you're also going to get some fun stuff like the blooper reel, basically uh, of, of his kind of dumb things he did in his <laughs> life. And this, it's the only time this movie kind of veers into that kind of comedy, but that's a pretty fun sequence. Oh, I know. It's like, there's no reason for them to show it, but they just do anyways. Uh-huh. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> and I just love like the chainsaw on the, uh, parasol on the outside the <laughs> umbrella. So, dumb. so stupid, but so it good. was great. Yeah. He, you know, his car is, uh, sort of rolling out of the gas station and instead of trying to jump in the door and stop it, he jumps on the hood of the car. Right. <laughs> it's all like very broad comedy. It's, it's pretty fun stuff. Yeah. Though. Really silly, but so good. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the chemistry between Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks. Uh, it's really very natural. Uh, it happens pretty quickly. And there's the idea that maybe they may have known each other in a past life. Right. And at the past lives pavil- pavilion, she was a, He's a dressmaker and dinner. Right. And she's like <laughs> As, uh, Prince Valiant. Yeah. That's... Like she did all these great things. Um, but they, you know, it culminates in what I think is really one of the better first kiss scenes in movies. It's really, really great. Yeah. It, they're so sweet together. It's like, that's the thing is it feels very like an old fashioned courtship, but in, under, under extraordinary circumstances where, and, and a very abbreviated timeline, you're only there for a couple of days or whatever. So, um, they're just oh, they're so sweet together. I love it so much. And the whole past lives pavilion too. Like that whole sequence cracks me up. Like Shirley MacLaine is the one inter- introduces it. Her yeah, hologram of her, funny. which, you know, at that time she's very much known for like out on a limb and like all those like weird uh-huh. spiritual things. And, and just the fact that when she says, welcome to the past lives pavilion, you hear off screen, some woman go, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> like just little moments like that. It just cracked me up. Yeah, and I saw where he was talking about using special effects. He had a big, uh, a little bit bigger budget for this movie than he normally had and um, was able to do some things that now, you know, look very sort of rudimentary. But uh, back then it was it was a bit of cutting edge stuff showing those kind of hologram like uh, people in the past lives. Right. And uh, he talks about uh, the trams were all miniatures, uh, except for the ones that they were riding on, obviously. Uh, and they used, you know. Uh, matte paintings and stuff, which is uh, not special. Well, it is special effects, but not CGI. And those trams are the same ones that they use at Universal Studios. So, oh, there, really? There I go. wondered where they got those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was kind of cool too how they all had to wear these, wear the same outfit, um, which is this sort of uh, just white smock, basically. Yeah. I think they call them what, tupas or tukas? Tupas, I yeah, think. Yeah, tupas. Yeah. yeah. 
That's not but how comfortable they are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, it's just like their loungewear that they're basically all walking around in. And when he tries to tip the guy early on that shows him his room right. before he can really like speak. <laughs> right. He can't really move. He's reaching for his pockets that aren't there and stuff. Just, yeah, so good. Uh, I read a Rolling Stone um, 25 years after article, which was in 2016, where Albert Brooks basically wrote a piece for Rolling Stone. Oh, wow. And uh, it's cool. It's it, like he really, you can tell he cares a lot about this movie and that he loves that it has um, had a second life sort of as a cult classic. He talked about this one kid whose parent, his parents wrote him and said that he was like a 12 year old who'd memorized the movie. <laughs> And he said, you know, I know not obviously people aren't out there memorizing it. He said, but he said, it's interesting that it played really well to younger people. And that's something he never thought would happen. It wasn't a movie made for young people. But in the when they did the test screenings, it performed best in people 18 to 25, which was kind of surprising, I think. I mean, I was I think was a 91. So I was like 15 or 16 at the time. When it came out, did you see it, it back then? I did. Yeah, I saw it right away. But that also helped that like my dad was a big Albert Brooks fan, so you uh-huh. know, and that was like it was PG Brooks, so of course we all went and saw that. But yeah, I loved right. it then, and it resonated <laughs> with me then. But like also like I just I love like clever dialogue and quips and stuff like that too, and this movie's just full of it. So it's one of those things that I just gravitated towards it naturally. But I'm not surprised it resonates with people because I feel like a lot. It's very family friendly, and it really is. Um, it's even I think it's PG 13, but there's not really anything I don't see why bad in it but um you know it's the kind of thing you would watch you know you'd show to your kids and they would probably find the concept kind of funny or whatever if they're mm-hmm. old enough I think you have to be at least you know seven eight nine ten years old but I think it's one of, the, one of those things that would resonate with kids it's it's very funny and very charming yeah and also a movie I think that uh, a kid could watch and get one take from it and then an adult you know or if you watch it years later like you you know it's one of those movies that kind of can change uh, what you get out of it as you get older. Totally. It's got a great score too. Like, I think that's one of the ones that's people don't really talk about, but the, the music is pretty phenomenal. Uh, Michael Gore did the music who like, he did scores for like pretty in pink and fame in terms of endearment and stuff. A lot of 80s oh, wow. stuff, but he's still doing music producing stuff today. Um, but I really, really enjoy the score and the feel of it too. Yeah. It's sort of a good old fashioned, 80s 90s movie score it's not too flashy or anything but i like movies that have scores um i think it's a bit of a lost art other than big big sort of epics obviously you think about the score but um that's one thing i always loved about alexander payne movies is he has very little uh popular music or songs and he's a sort of a modern filmmaker who uses these kind of old-fashioned feeling scores and they, I don't know this. There's something about it from our childhood, I guess. It just it feels like a movie. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think a, a nice, like, good theme that kind of recurs throughout, mm-hmm. and then obviously incidental music in between. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with like John Williams in the '80s and all those iconic scores that he did, and James Horner and people like that too. That, yeah, you know, it's just it definitely is. I mean, obviously, we're both like '80s movie people that grew up on that stuff. So it definitely does sort of take you back to the feel that kind of feel in the movie instead of like a friggin' like Skrillex score, like they had in the Mandalorian that one week. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I know who Skrillex is, but I know just enough to laugh at that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, dubstep isn't necessarily the best choice for uh, (laughs) something, but uh, I mean, I I don't mind it in certain scenarios, but. Um, So yeah, let's, you know, let's hit the ending again, because uh, I think, like I said, Brooks isn't known for doing these sort of saccharine endings. Um, But, and I'm curious if there was ever a different ending written for this. That's a little more cynical. Yeah, I wonder about that because it would kind of seem like they would, if it was typical Brooks thing, they would just send him back down and it yeah. would just be. It would show him in a mini mall or something. Right. And, uh, but it, it does get that happy ending you want. And it does it in a nice little kind of a twist in a sense, too, because basically, like, she's leaving and he finally overcomes his fear to try to go be with her. Yeah. And um, he's, you know, running and trying to get inside the tram. If you guys don't know why this ends, then don't listen to this. But uh, it's not a huge revelation. But um, he's trying to get inside this tram and, like, it won't open. And there's 
kind of electricity on the ground. It's kind of shocking him as he goes trying to get into this thing saying, I love you. I want to be with you. And he's, she's like, I want to be with you too. And, and then the camera pulls back and it's inside the courtroom and the, judge, cool. the judges are watching him. And then they look at each other. They all kind of Lee Grant and stuff. Do they all just kind of nod? And then the one judge goes, let him go. And then the tram yeah. doors open and he gets on the tram to go into the, you know, the next step with her, which is, it's just really nice. It's like a, yeah, really- it, it was super sweet. And I thought that like, I didn't see that part coming with the court. I thought it was sweet enough that he was going after the woman he loves in, in the scene that we've all seen a million times, whether they're chasing a train or a bus or whatever. And in this case, it's a tram, which was kind of a funny little spin on it. Right. But um, I thought that was sweet enough. And I didn't even know that he was going to get in for a second there. I thought that he was not, and he would just see her drive off, but it would have been enough that he showed that bravery. So when they pull back to the court and uh, showed it in real time, I was like, Oh, did not see that coming. Very cool. Yeah. It was a nice little twist and a good little bow for the movie, which, you know, doesn't always happen. Like I said, and it's pretty well, I mean, it was pretty well acclaimed, but like not overwhelmingly. So, um, yeah, like, uh, Roger Ebert really liked it a lot. Um, but like Owen Gleiberman said, quote, a lackluster affair. So boo, Owen Gleiberman. Boo. Um, and, <laughs> no heart. And I actually read his review because I was curious, but he said that like he's a he was a big Albert Brooks fan, which surprised me that he would then say that this is a lackluster affair. Because I, feel, yeah, like, that's I feel like this is typical Albert Brooks canon, just a little sweeter. Um, oh, totally. It's right in the wheelhouse. Right, exactly. So that surprised me. So, but, um, huh. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it really panned by anybody. The worst reviews were just like, it's okay. It doesn't have enough bite or whatever, which is like, I don't understand that argument either. Cause I don't think that's the point of the movie. Yeah. I think if it would make, if it were made today, it would be so much more overdone uh, from the, the sets and the costumes and what the afterlife would look like to, uh, to just what happens and, and the, and the days that they go back and look at for each of them. I think they would be way more overdone and sort of sensationalized. Uh, it's a subtle movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's also one of those movies that's just very sweet and fun to watch. Not a chore, not, yeah. not a homework movie. As I call some movies that come out there, just like, I know it's going to totally. be good, but it's two and a half hours. And Oh boy. Um, it's just a pleasant diversion, I guess you could say. And especially nowadays when things are so like, ugh, all the time, yeah. It's just nice to have something, which is, I think is the reason I like love Ted Lasso so much, which I know you guys have talked about recently. Oh man. Um, so good. But it's just like, it's just his unwavering optimism and positivity. Yeah. <laughs> it feels really good. It feels really good in 2020, especially, you know, going into this year yeah. too. So I've only watched the whole thing twice, once with my parents. And um, I don't know. It's just like something about entertainment that's a little more, not saccharine, but like just a little more positive and a little mm-hmm. more sweet that, you know, it's entertainment. It's to take you away from things, which is like, I never understand the argument when people are like, this isn't realistic because blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a fucking movie. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's life yeah. around you. Like, it's not, it's not a documentary. I, I get it, but. Ew. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love my, uh, my dark serial killer content and a good black comedy. Um, and there's a time for all that stuff. But like you said, especially this past year, like give me, better things give me catastrophe give me ted lasso uh one mississippi master of none like these movies that just have so or tv shows that have so much heart uh defending your life you know put me in that same zone um i i just i'll take all that stuff right now yeah me too as much as keep I it get. on me <laughs> i mean i, I, lo- of- I loved sound of metal as well as you did but like oh god like that's that movie's it's a little tough but like it's rewarding yeah. it's super super rewarding i didn't feel tough watching it but like uh-huh. there's just a lot of stuff coming out of that vein that are just like i guess because it's like now would be oscar time so to speak mm-hmm. so there's just a lot of like really heavy dramas with like characters going on very harrowing journeys and yeah. Tough situation. So it's just kind of nice to see things sometimes that are just a little more sweet. I totally agree. Uh, defending your life is that, uh, I got nothing else. Do you have anything on your list? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we didn't talk about how Meryl Streep died. Her little monologue about how she passed on because oh. <laughs> everybody else is, you know, old. She's one of the youngest people there, but yeah. Yeah. Her whole, it's just, just kind of funny that this person who's super altruistic and just, you uh-huh. know, so on charge of everything 
died by like tripping next to her pool Mm -hmm. and hitting her head and then just rolling into the pool, I guess, and drowning. And And she was angry. She was angry. Yeah. How did you die? Pissed. What do you mean you're pissed? And and, uh, Albert, of course, quips with like, well, what did the East German judge give you? (laughs) You got to negotiate the patio furniture. They take that very seriously. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was interesting because she, uh, I mean, that's sort of one of the little mysteries of the movie. You, You wonder what she did. Uh, and how she died. And um, I thought it was an interesting turn to have her die angry because she's such a pleasant person in uh, in the afterlife. Right. Yeah, it's just kind of funny that that's what, you know, it just goes to show you that, like, you can be as in control of your life as you think you are, but you never are. Like, that's yeah. like, that's one of the things that they kind of say in this thing, too, is just like, you got to do the best you can. Like, you're not in control. No one's in control. It doesn't matter how together you are, how good you are. Like you are not in control. Life, life happens around you. You don't control life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, those are great parting words, my friend, uh, go watch defending your life on HBO max. Um, go watch any Albert Brooks movie. Yep. yep. Let's hope he makes another one soon. <laughs> I one can hope. I don't know. Yeah, but I wonder if he's got something in the, in the works. That would be great. That would be awesome. I would like to see him, uh, to do at least, especially if the uh, searching for comedy in the Muslim world wasn't great. I'd like to see him go out on a better note than that. Right. I mean, you should still take a look at it. It's, it's definitely watchable and it's yeah. Albert and it's got good, good Albert moments in it, but well, there's yeah. always gonna be great lines. Yep. Uh, all right, dude. Well, uh, go to uh, what's the website. SF sketch yeah, dot com. Yeah. Buy your tickets. Yeah. They're all up there. January 30th is the day. But it's going to be it's going to be pretty amazing. There's some really fun surprises and things cooked up because in addition to the hundred performers, there's like some surprise guests that pop up into things, too. So there's going to be there seems to be some fun surprises in there as well. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, Chuck. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.